0: The Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. If you're interested in more information about our church, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church. All right, we're going to be in Philippians chapter one. When uh, my wife and I were uh, previous ministry uh, before here, Um, I was a youth pastor for nine years, and uh, one of the um, uh, kids there in the the youth group decided to take a a mission trip to uh, Barcelona, and uh, while he was there in Barcelona, he actually went and visited uh, several places around in the area there. And uh, one of the places that he actually went to go and visit was a cathedral that's in Barcelona, and it's known as the Sagrada Familia Cathedral. And a uh, very interesting story about this uh, cathedral. The year was 1885, and a man by the name of Antonio Gaudi was one of the chief architects of this cathedral. And he designed, and he was going to be uh, building this cathedral. And uh, if you can uh, see pictures of this cathedral, it's, it's absolutely amazing. Um, and it, in fact, it is really gaudy in that sense. Um, but uh, the project began there in 1885, and uh, it's still not complete. In fact, they're still building onto it to this very day. It's not finished. Uh, Antonio Gotti died in 1926 and when, after he died, the work really slowed down. Uh, f- things weren't really uh, doing anything. Uh, the building has been going on and off uh, for completion for the last 137 years. Last year, the issue was raised that when the project originally began, a building permit was never secured And so to finish the project, a sum of $41 million would need to be secured so to finish the project. Completion date now is expected to be 2026, that it's to be completed. And uh, when it's going to be completed, it will be the tallest church in Europe with the tallest of of its six... Brushing towers topping off at 566 feet. Will this building ever be completed? Well, only time will tell, right? As we look at our text here, Philippians chapter number one, Paul talks about being complete in the day of Jesus Christ. Remember where Paul was, he was in prison. And as he's there in a Roman prison, uh, there was some daunting circumstances that I'm sure he was encountering, but yet he writes this book of Philippians, this letter to the Philippian uh, church at Philippi, and it just overflows with joy as he talks about uh, their faith in Christ and what Christ has been doing in their life and what he expects Christ to continue to do in their life. And so Paul here writes with assurance that he knows that the work that God began in their life uh, would also be the same God that would bring that work to completion on the day of Christ. And so here's what I'd like for you to take away with you today. The work of Christ will be made complete when he returns. The work of Christ will be made complete when he returns. So let's take notice here a couple things here as we look at this uh, verse here, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse number 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. As we look at this verse more closely, as I said uh, last week, this verse is dealing with our salvation in Christ, that the, the work that Christ has completed, that He, that He began, He would bring to a completion. And there was a salvation in the lives of these that uh, lived at Philippi, that a salvation work that had begun. And Paul says, I am sure of it that the work that he began, he would bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so Paul was making an assurance statement here about the work of salvation that God had begun in them, and he is most assured of the work coming to completion now at the day of Christ. You see, our salvation is not complete until we are made complete is what Paul says. Look at verse number nine. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So there's there's a growth pattern that is going on that we are abounding more and more, that we are continuing in love, that we're learning more about who Christ is and how that is transforming our lives. Look at verse number 10. He says, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So we got to get to this point where Paul says at the day of Christ that will be the day that our salvation will be complete that we will stand before him as being pure and blameless. Look at chapter 2 verse uh, number 12. He tells us this, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's not talking about you do works uh, to uh, make sure that you're going to heaven. You're not working for your salvation, but he's saying that you need to be working out your salvation with fear and trembling, Look at verse number 13. He says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God is at work in our lives and he is working in us and he's willing in us to bring about his own good pleasure. Look at verse number 15 and 16. He says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ. There's that phrase. In the day of Christ. I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So there's a working that is going on in the life of a believer. As we're being changed and transformed. Into the image of Jesus Christ. And at the day of Christ, that work will be complete. So it's evident here that even Paul here in this letter makes it plain that the work of salvation is an ongoing process. God's word has a term that is used to describe this and it's called sanctification. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 30, it says, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. 1 Thessalonians chapter four, verses three through four says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexually, sexual immorality, that each one of you know <clears throat> how to control his own body in holiness and in honor. Paul says that's actually the will of God for you, for me. That we actually abstain from sexual immorality. That is a work of sanctification in our lives. We say no to sexual immorality. We say no to lustful thoughts. We say no to certain things. And we know how to possess our our body, as what he says here, in holiness and honor. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse number 13 says, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the lord because god chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth first peter chapter 1 verse number 2 says according to the foreknowledge of god the father in the sanctification of the spirit for obedience to jesus christ and for the sprinkling with his blood sanctification is simply that god has set you apart He has made you holy. He has set you apart. And that's why Christians are to be different. That's why we are not to go along with the world because we are set apart from the world. We need not think like the world. We need not act like the world. We need not respond like the world because we have been set apart. We have been sanctified. Paul, in fact, addresses these believers here in Philippians as saints, that they are holy, that they have been set apart. Set apart for what? Well, it's what God's word says here, the work that he will bring to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. You see, as we look into God's word here, there are three parts of, of sanctification that we see as it's unfolded in the word of God. The first is called positional sanctification. And if you know Christ, then positionally in Christ, you have been set apart to glorify Christ. You have been set apart as a member of God's family through faith in Christ. This is true for all believers, regardless of different degrees of spiritual growth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number two, Paul addresses the people there, the believers there, and they are fleshly and they are carnal. They're very worldly, but yet he still calls them saints. And these Christians as saints, uh, he describes the, the horrible sinful passions and deeds that they have been uh, living in. Let me, let me just read to you here uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter number 6, verses 8 through 10. These are the things that the Corinthian church was engaged in. But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers nor men who practice homosexuality nor thieves nor the greedy nor drunkards nor revilers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says this, and of such were some of you. These are people that actually practice this kind of behavior. But he brings it back and he says this, you were justified, you were sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have been washed in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. And so Paul here tells us that as believers, we have been set apart. There's a work of Christ that is being done in our lives. And we are not to be continually living the way that we used to live. Why? Because we're sanctified. We've been set apart, we've been made holy. We need to allow the work of Christ to continue, to continue to repent of sin and believe the word and walk in truth, not to continue uh, in sin. We too have been washed, we too have been sanctified, we too have been justified the moment that we believed in Christ. First John chapter three verses one through two tells us that we are the sons of God and this will never change. First Corinthians chapter six, verses 19 through 20, Paul even talks about this. He says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So God's word tells us that as believers in Christ, we need to be glorifying him with our body. This is all part of sanctification as we live out the gospel and we allow the gospel to be transforming our lives and our hearts. Then we have the second aspect of this good work that God is doing in us. The second aspect of sanctification is progressive sanctification. It's ongoing, it's dynamic, it's always changing. We are continuing to be set apart during the whole of our Christian lives. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 declares this, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. They are being sanctified. They're in a constant process of continually being set apart. That one offering that Christ made on the cross and as he sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat forever now, as what Paul says here, he's perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You know, it's true that we are made perfect in Christ, but we sure don't always act perfect, do we? There's a real struggle as the flesh wars against the spirit. There's often a huge gap between what we are and how we are to be acting. So the Bible exhorts us here in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 to be what we are. If you are in Christ, then we are to be walking in Christ. If that's really what you are, then that's how we are supposed to be living. He tells us that how we should act, that we are to be glorifying God in our body and in our spirit, which belong to God. You know, it's wonderful to know that we are in Christ, but it's of little value if we don't live up to it. Practical sanctification is where the rubber meets the road. It is something with which much we struggle with every single day. Every single day you have to make a choice when you wake up, am I going to glorify and honor Jesus Christ in my life today? That's a daily choice you have to make. And that choice that you make that day will determine if you are gonna walk in holiness or you're gonna be defeated by the flesh. The Bible teaches that if we are genuinely saved, there will be a continual growth in this area. 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, therefore, those that are in Christ, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. So there's a continual process there as we grow in Christ. And so we'll notice those old things passing away And by the way, it's not always big things. Some of the the most heinous sins that God describes in God's word are things like pride, lying. Sometimes we think of the the heinous sins as as a, a guy that beats his wife or something like that. But in reality, it could be those things, pride, lying, You see, as we see those old things passing away, all those things will become new. It's a practice that is at work in our life. And so this positional sanctification occurs the moment that we are saved. Practical, progressive sanctification happens continually as we yield our life to the working of God in our life. As we read the word of God and we allow the word of God to change and transform us and being yielding to the spirit of God. And so this happens continually, it's a lifelong process, but it will never be complete here on the earth. It'll only be complete when Christ returns. 2 Peter 3.18 tells us that we are to grow continually. 1 Thessalonians uh, 3.12, also chapter 4, verse number 1, and Verse number 10 says that we are to increase and abound. Philippians chapter 3 verses 12 through 14 actually says this. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am I already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so the working of salvation in our life is growth and change. It happens as we repent of sin and follow and obey Christ and his word. And as we are changed, we are giving confirmation of that gospel is what Paul said. He says, because of this, because of your life, because of you have been uh, living out the gospel, there's confirmation of the gospel that there's life there at that church. Could it be said of Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship that there's life here because we are repenting of sin and we're allowing the gospel to be confirmed in our lives? Could it be said of us that that is what's here? You see, all of this happens as a means of grace. God is working grace in our lives. We are changed and transformed as an act of grace. We all love to quote Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine, for by grace you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But what about verse number 10? For we are his workmanship, is what God's word says. And so as grace is working in us, he is working in us and we become his workmanship. We become really almost his craft as he is crafting and he is molding us and he is shaping us. We are becoming trophies of grace for the father. Let me give you something practical about this. As Paul was writing to this church in Philippi, you'll see as, as we move through this whole book that there is... Uh, there's a message here that Paul is really trying to strive for to tell them about. And you see these themes popping up. And one of the themes here is unity in the church. In verse number one, Paul actually writes, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. So he writes to all the saints. And as he's writing to these saints, with the overseers, the elders, the deacons, The unity and the fellowship of the church was very important to Paul. And I think that comes across in this letter that he writes to these believers. So one important point about the working of sanctification in our lives that we as believers need to remember is that God is the one who is working in you and God is the one who is working in others. So we must be careful to remember that when dealing with another brother or sister in Christ who is not where we are spiritually, it is not my job, it is not your job to play the role of the Holy Spirit and try to get that person or another individual to get them to conform to what you may be at. I really struggled this a lot with the previous church that we were at and um, having grown up with a background that I had, it was almost this idea that everybody had to be the same. Everybody had to have the same thing. And so if there was somebody that didn't have the same views as you did, and we're not talking about uh, central doctrine to, to, the, to the word of God here, but we're talking on things, opinions and things like that. And if we didn't agree together, then oh boy, we couldn't have fellowship. And so it's not my job or your job to play the role of the Holy Spirit. You see, there might be times that you might be wrong or I might be wrong. There might be times that we need to come alongside and just say, well, that's where they're at and that's fine because it's a working of grace in everybody's life. And we're not all in the same place spiritually as another brother or sister in Christ. And I think when we try to start playing the role of the Holy Spirit, what happens is we bring division, we bring disunity within the body because all of a sudden it becomes about what we want or what I am, not what Christ is doing in the life of that individual. You see, we are all threatened by Christians who are different than we are. And so we take it on as a task to change that person so that they will be like me. And in turn, that other Christian senses my rejection of him or my attempts to change him and it draws back and fellowship is hindered. Verse number six here is what Paul writes means that I'm not responsible to change others. I'm responsible to minister God's love and truth to others in a sensitive matter. And if a brother is clearly wrong about a major truth or sin that I'm responsible to come alongside and do all that I can to help him. If it's a serious heresy or sin that he's involved in, I may eventually need to separate from that person. But at the same time, I can trust that it's God's job to change that individual. And it's God's job to change that brother. Because if God has truly saved him, God will finish the job. And it's not my place to try to hurry up sanctification in somebody else's life. This applies also, I believe, to even husbands and wives. You know, you have a marriage where the wife is discontent with how the husband's living or the the husband's discontent with how the wife is living or even children. All relationships. And so... It's not our job to try to change the individual. It's our job to pray for them, to encourage them, to strengthen them. It's what Hebrews says, that we need to be stirring up one another into good works. But God is the one who will bring about change. And when he does it, he does it. <laughs> okay? So there's a beginning of this good work. Let's wrap this up here, the completion of this good work. There's this one more aspect of the sanctification. That is what is called glorification. Meaning that when Christ returns, we will be made complete. Notice Paul's words here is he will bring it to completion. Look at what he says. He says, he, the good work in you will bring it to completion. What exactly will be completed? We'll turn over to uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter number five. Let's take a look at this. And the whole context of 1 Thessalonians is talking about the day of the Lord. So this this sanctification process, this glorification process will be made complete at the day of Christ, the day of the Lord. So look at 1 Thessalonians chapter number five and uh, look with me in verse number 23. He says this, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see it there? Sanctify you completely. That word completely in this verse means complete in every part, perfect in every respect. In fact, Jude chapter, uh, Jude verse 24 speaks of the day when Christ will present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, We will then be holy forever. Notice when this will happen. Look at uh, Philippians 1, 6 here again. At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we look back here, Philippians 1, 6, Paul tells us at the day of Jesus Christ, at the day of Jesus Christ, at the coming of Christ. And in fact, over here, if you're still in Philippians, uh, or uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, The whole context, remember, he's talking about the second coming of the Lord. Look at uh, some of these verses here as I read them to you, uh, chapter five, verse number one. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you for yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Um, He tells us here, verse number six, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Uh, Verse number seven, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Everyone, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test everything, hold fast. What is good? Abstain from every form of evil. So he's telling us this is how we are to live. Why? Because Christ is coming back. And when he comes back, he will present us as holy, complete, totally before him. And so what does that mean for you? Well, as what Paul told us in Philippians 3, 12 through 14, we should continually to press on, to move forward, to struggle forward, to continue. We are to continue in the grace that we have been transformed by. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made us his own. Let's wrap this up with a passage of scripture here. Ephesians chapter number five is... is, is Paul's uh, letter to this, uh, to this church at Ephesus. And it's about, uh, about the relationship that Christ has with the church, but he also makes a connection as the relationship between a husband and wife. In Ephesians uh, chapter five, verses 22 through uh, 32, Paul challenges the believers here. He tells husbands, you need to love your wives as Christ also loved the church, gave himself up for it. He tells the wife that she needs to be submitting to her husband. Paul then goes even more that the, that the husband has even more responsibility. And that responsibility lies in the fact that the husband is supposed to uh, be sanctifying his wife and cleansing her by the washing of the word so that he might present uh, her as spotless and blameless. But then Paul says, I'm not talking about relationship between husband and wife. He says, I'm talking about the church. And is that not true of any church? a church that is supposed to be frightfully proclaiming the gospel, that we as a church is to submit to Christ. We submit to Christ through this sanctification process by being cleansed by the washing of the word of God. It grieves me to no end when, uh, and this is the thing, people can call things whatever they wanna call them, they can call them churches and gospel whatever, But if the word of God is not being faithfully proclaimed, it's not a church. And so if we are going to be washed by the power of the word of God, then we need to be faithfully proclaiming the word of God. And the church needs to be submitting to Christ and saying, I wanna be changed, I wanna be transformed. I wanna be washed and, and sanctified, to be set apart, why? because the church is to be presented to Christ in all of its glory and splendor, beautiful, without spot or wrinkle or blemish. How odd it would be to have a wedding here and all the preparations be made you have candles and flowers and there's a cater, and chairs have been set up and uh, music has been rehearsed for and, and all, the, all the things are gonna be uh, accumulated at this wedding ceremony. And then to have the bride come in wearing some kind of gown that has been drugged through the mud, holy and ripped and torn, shabby in pieces. What kind of message would that send? And we, too, the church, need to be sanctified. We need to be glorified. We need to present ourselves to Christ and have him wash us and sanctify us so that we be spotless without blemish when Christ returns. When Christ returns, what will he find in the church? When he returns, how will he find the condition of this church? How will this church look when Christ returns? It should be to us to be spotless and blameless and at peace. Will you be ashamed of when Christ returns? Will he find you unclean, unholy, living in the world with a heart that is set on the world and not upon him? Or will he find you striving to serve him and to glorify him with all of your heart? We need to do self-examination in our own hearts and find out what's important, what we're living for. Christ is returning, (laughs) it's certain. When is he gonna come? I don't know. But we're seeing a lot of things take place, aren't we? And so maybe we need to figure out where our allegiance really does lie, towards Christ or towards the world. Let's pray.